Well, good morning. Welcome to the scariest day of the year. And by that, of course, I mean it's the day that Michigan fans wake up and realize Jim Harbaugh is still the coach. Too soon? Not soon enough. Should have posted it on Facebook this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Genesis chapter 1 this morning. We're going to spend a lot of time there. Genesis chapter 1. We're in our series entitled Satan Hates Genesis 1. And what we're doing in this series is we're laying out the foundational truths that God put into Genesis 1 uh, as a picture of how the world is supposed to work and a picture of how we as humans, how, how, what is best for our lives. And Satan hates Genesis 1 because in it is God's plan, God's good and perfect plan for a world that brings him glory and us joy. And Satan, trapped between his past rebellion and his future judgment, hates it, and so he roams the earth right now, attempting to devour those who are made in his image. See, Satan was not made in the image of God. In Isaiah 14, 14, we hear uh, some insight into why Satan rebelled against God. In, in his words, Satan says, I will become like the Most High. I will become like the Most High. Satan was on this quest to become like God or to become God and, and to try and overpower God, but he lost and he failed. And so instead now what he does is he goes around and he tries to destroy those who have, of us, all of us, who have been made in his image. In fact, being made in the image of God was the third truth that we looked at last week. In our opening to this series, we talked about three truths. Truth number one, God is the creator. And in six days, God created the earth. Truth number two is that God is good and his plan is good. God is good and his plan is good. He brings order into the chaos. He brings light into the darkness. And his scriptures are the best way for us to live. They lay out the path that is best for humanity. What they say is right is right. What they say is wrong is wrong. When you and scripture collide, you're wrong, scripture's right. Number three, third truth was this, that we are made in the image of God. I just read those Genesis passages, and in that verse, in verse 26, we see something uh, that, that uh, is foundational to us understanding humanity. See, in the first five days and then part of day six in creation up until the point where uh, humanity was formed, things were being formed after their kind or after their seed. Uh, something, uh, whether it's a plant, an animal, uh, produces something that is like it. But in day six, God created the pinnacle of his creation, humanity. And he said, I want to make something that's like me, something that's after my kind. And so the verse says, let us make man in our own image. Let us make man in our own image. It's a doctrinal term known as the Imago Dei, that we are made in the image of God. Its most fundamental understanding or principle is this, that by being made in the image of God, there is now an intrinsic value that every person holds. You, me, all of humanity. There is an inherent value that cannot be taken. We are made after God. We are made in his image. Oh, and Satan hates this. He wanted to be like God and he couldn't become like God. 
the wording even in Isaiah 14, 14. I want to be like God. I'll make myself like God. Genesis 1, 26 says what? Let us make someone who is like us. Don't you see Satan's envy? He saw that we got something that he didn't get. And so now, what does Satan do? He wants to distort the image of God. He wants to strip away and to steal the inherent value that we have. This week, if we were answering one of the great philosophical questions of life, we'd be answering the question, why am I valuable? What's my sense of worth? Or where does my sense of worth come from? God answers that question right in the beginning. Your sense of worth comes from the fact that you were made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. And what does it mean that we're made in the image of God? The first hint of it is right there in the verse when God says, let us make man in our image. Right there, God is making a reference to his plural nature. There is one God, but one God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We understand that to mean the Trinitarian nature of God. It was there at creation. It was there at redemption. It's been there the entire time, this triune nature of God. God the Christian belief is existed for all of time in perfect unity amongst himself and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So for us to be made in the image of God first means we're relational beings. We're relational. We are meant to be and created to be in relationship. That's why God confronts the first problem presented in the scriptures. Remember what the first problem is? It wasn't sin. It was loneliness. Why? Because we're relational. God made us to be relational relationship with him, relationship with each other. God is eternal. He said, let us make man in our image. The second thing that it means to be made in the image of God is that we are eternal beings. We were designed and created to last forever. Now, certainly sin came in and wreaked havoc on that, but we were designed to live forever. We are eternal beings. And so we will live forever. Our souls will live forever. At the final redemption, our souls will be connected back to our bodies and we will live in the new heaven and the new earth in Christ and, uh, in, and for eternity or we will live in eternity in hell apart from God. Those are the two options. But we are made in the image of God, which means we are made to be eternal. And so we are relational. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We are wired for relationship. We are eternal. We were made to last forever. And thirdly, then, we are spiritual beings. This is what separates us from the animals. We're spiritual or moral beings with the ability to comprehend right and wrong, good and evil. This is wired into us. In that spiritual nature, then, we are formed with body, soul, and mind. And that's why the scriptures talk about all three of these things over and over, body, soul, and mind, that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that our mind is to be transformed into the mind of Christ, that our souls become either overflowing with the goodness of God or dead, tired, thirsty, empty. We have been made in the image of God as spiritual beings to flourish body, soul, and mind. And so what does the enemy do since he hates us and he hates God's plan? He attacks all three of these. He destroys our relationships. 
He makes us think that life is just about this earth, that death will be the end, and that eternity doesn't matter. Or he attacks our bodies, our souls, and our minds, getting us to choose his plan instead of God's plan. And so this is the enemy's distortion. This is his attack against us. This is, in short, what it means to understand the image of God. Now, when we begin to then comprehend that, that imago Dei, that, that I am made in the image of God, that you are made in the image of God with an inherent value, this has implications then, it, it, deep implications. Uh, one of them is this, and I'll explain it more f- uh, further next week, that we see here in the Bible that God gives us value first and then purpose. He says, let us make man in our own image. After he says that, he says, now go have dominion and fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. Value in the scriptures comes before purpose. uh, Satan does the complete opposite. What Satan does is he tries to put purpose before value. What Satan says is you need to earn your value. You need to earn it through your purpose. You need to do, and then as you do, then you will obtain your value. This has worked its way into our terminology. Like, uh, if, if I get this, then I'll be, um, I'll be worth it. If I obtain this, then I'll have my value. Or, or we use this, and I know like, it doesn't always connect here in like, a business sense, but we look at somebody in our business or in our work environment, and we go, eh, I don't really see that person's value. And I'm not making like a cosmic statement on that. I understand the terminology, but that same idea like, works into our own psyches. Like, this is why sometimes when, uh, when we uh, get done operating out of what we thought our purpose was, like we retire or we're no longer able to do what we used to be able to do, we think, what am I worth now? What, what value do I bring? I'm going to get discarded. Why? Because we're putting purpose instead of val- before value. We're, we're running after our purpose And in the purpose, then, we're trying to find our value. That's not how the Bible operates. That's not how God operates. What God says is this, you get your value first. You are valuable because you are made in the image of God, and that can't be taken from you. No job, no person, no accomplishment can change your worth. You're valuable because you're made in the image of God. Now, this then... This idea, it it does. It it has great corporate and personal implications. Let's talk about the corporate ones first. The corporate implications to this is that as Christians, we elevate and value all human life because we see that all human life is made in the image of God. From the beginning, or in our promo video, I was intentional to use these words, from the womb, From the womb, God has created you. He has known you. As Christians, then we value human life. In our current culture, there's no greater battle in this discussion than the conversation around abortion. The greatest evil is that which calls evil good and good evil. Imagine this. We live in a culture where if you were to abort a pet, you might go to prison. But if you abort a baby, 
you get celebrated. Imagine this. How much the enemy has worked his way in. And if I was the enemy, by the way, Satan, what I would do is I would get the group of people that have the most vested interest in championing life and get them to believe two lies. One, oh, this is a political issue. Stay out of it. This is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. It's not a political issue. And those who would say it is have fallen into the lies of Satan to silence voices so that Satan can do what he wants to do. Stop human life. This is his entire aim. And if he can get it in the womb before it even has a chance, then he's just one. The other lie that Satan will try to use in our current culture is, well, you can't legislate morality. Really? We have rules against killing. We have rules against stealing. We have rules against lying. Of course you can legislate morality. That's the point of legislation. It stops people from doing bad things. It stops people from doing evil things. And Satan has tried to advance this lie corporately, followers of Christ, if we believe the foundation that God is laying out in Genesis chapter one on the importance of the Imago Dei, then there is no single greater issue of our day than the ending of abortion. Nothing matters this much. Nothing even pales in comparison. Nothing is even close. Everything else pales in comparison. That's what I meant. Nothing is even close to stopping this. What does this mean as Christians, by the way? This does mean that we should pray. We should fervently pray. And hopefully, sometime in the next few months, our prayers will be heard. I know some of us, many of us are praying that. And we ought to continue to pray. You know, James 4.17 says, one definition of sin is this, knowing to do good and not doing it is sin. Knowing to do good and not doing it is sin. We know what is evil. We know what is wrong. Stopping it then. And every means, every means might be a, too far of a stretch. Every legal means, every legal means should be our aim, should be our prayer. Human life has value because we are f formed in the womb because God created us in his own image. Now, of course, we have to carry this belief out. This also means that we evaluate society, we evaluate our own lives, and we look into society. And as Christians, Christians we should be the greatest champions of uh, um, elevating human life always, of figuring out what is the best way for humanity to thrive. We look at the picture of the garden in Genesis chapter one and this earth that God wanted to create and how humanity formed in his image would, would just be thriving. And so as Christians, we take our belief in the Imago Dei and we apply it into everything that we do. We, we apply it into the way we treat our neighbor and in the way um, that we run our business or in the way that we work in the field that we work in, knowing that all of it is about creating something that reflects the garden and that elevates human life. It shifts the way we see everything. If every human life matters, if all of humanity bears the image of God, then I want to create a society and I want to create a culture where human life can flourish. And so as Christians, 
Our jobs, our role in all of this is to live in such a way that affirms and uplifts the value of every human life. These are the corporate implications of understanding the, the Imago Dei of understanding how God has, has put his likeness into every human life. What about the personal implications of it? See, personally, when we live from value on the inside produces purpose on the outside, we can walk in a, a, in a peace, we can walk in our God-given purpose, I'm gonna talk about purpose next week, and we can walk in proper relationship. But when we um, fall into Satan's distortion where our value is on the outside, or our value is in what we do, uh, and then if we do out here, then that will produce value in here, then it disrupts our peace, it destroys our purpose and it ruins our relationships. Let me explain. See, when, when I have to obtain my value, when I have to answer the question, why am I worth something? What makes me important? What makes me valuable? And when I place that then in something out here, it's because I'm a, a this or you're that or you accomplished this or you finally reached this point or whatever it might be, right? It, once I get that, then, then there, there tends to be this total lack of peace on the inside until you obtain it. And so you strive and you strive and you strive and you strive. You're running and you're trying to get. And then when you do get, and all of the lack of peace that is in there in the meantime, when you do get, what do you realize? Oh, this was not, it's not nearly as good as I thought it was. And so then you strive and you strive and you strive. In fact, I would say much, much of the misplaced ambition that we see in our lives or in the world is a striving for answering the question, what will make me worth it? Where will my value come from? And so we push, and, and what has it caused in our society? Satan loves us. Anxiety, worry, pressure, depression. Why? Because we're obtaining or we're working hard to try and obtain something that God already gave us. He planted it in us from the beginning. You are made in the image of God. You bear the likeness of God. It cannot be taken from you. It's supposed to bring a peace to your life. Is it bad to have ambition? No. We'll talk about it again next week. Is it bad to want or to strive? No. But when we're striving, wanting, ambitious to, to answer the question, where will my worth come from? It will always destroy our peace. The same thing happens with our, with our I'll call it our purpose, answering the question, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with my life? And it is popular to say right now, like, just find your purpose, discover your purpose. If you find your purpose, if you discover your purpose, if you have a purpose-driven life, if you, if you do that, then you're going to be satisfied. And it's not bad to have a purpose. You should have a purpose. All of these things are true. But what is more important is that you understand value first, then purpose. I am made in the image of God. I have already obtained all of the worth that I will ever need. I've already made it in that sense, right? And so now, out of that, now I will go find what I'm going to do. And I will do with my life, not in order to obtain something, I will do with my life because of what I've already obtained. These are very different. See, in, in, in the way where, we, um, where, we're, where we're working to obtain, where we're working to obtain, what ends up happening is those things that we work to obtain, we will either crush them or they will crush us. 
So we, uh, if we think, if I just get to this place in life, then I'm going to feel worth it. I'm going to feel like I've made it. Once we get there and we realize that it didn't live up, it will crush us. Because we'll say, oh, then what is it that I've been searching for? If this wasn't it, then, then what? Or, or we will crush it because we will get there and we'll say, no, you were supposed to be it. We see this a lot of times in relationships. I thought if I just got here, if I just found you, then I would feel what I've always wanted to feel. I would feel worth it. I would feel the love. I would feel all of this. Why aren't I feeling that way? Why aren't you doing this for me? Why? And we crush them because they can't live under the expectations that we have of them being our God. And so we crush them. Oh, and don't you see how God made us? He said, no, 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 you are made in my image. Your value is inherent. It can't be taken. You've already made it. Now, now operate. Now operate out of that. Operate in peace. Operate in a purpose. But your purpose isn't to gain your value. Your purpose is out of your value. And so it gives us true peace. It gives us true purpose. You know what it also gives us? It gives us an ability to operate in relationships differently. See, when, when we're working hard to um, obtain our value, then we have this idea that value is this like finite thing. And so uh, if, if I am valuable, uh, then, then you can't be. If I have worth, then, then, then uh, I need to have more worth than you. And so when we, when we think this way or when we're trying to strive to obtain our value, then we have to look at people almost as competition. Well, I have to put you down so that I might be up. I have to get it so that you don't. And so um, I will fight and I will push. I will get envious. I will get jealous. I'll operate in all of these ungodly characteristics. Why? Because I need to obtain what I need to obtain because if I obtain it, then I'll find my value. But if you start from the place that I have already have all of the value that I need because I've been created in the image of God, then I can look at other people who have also been created in the image of God and say, I don't need to accomplish or obtain because I've already gotten everything that I need. And so I can lift you up. I can serve you. I can, uh, I can cheer for you. Why? Because what I'm most searching for in life was granted to me already. I am made in the image of God. And Satan, I always hate Genesis 1 because he knew. He knew that if all of humanity would live out of being image, uh, image bearers of God, that's what this original term means, by the way, that we're like image bearers or, or we're like representations or ambassadors uh, of God. Like we, like we carry his image, like we're representing him. And imagine what God had in mind when he formed humanity and he put a bunch of his image bearers around and they're like, hey, all of the value that you ever want in life, you got it because you've been made in my image. Okay, so now do what? Go be peaceful. Oh, live in peace and rest. Go be purposeful. Find a work that you love and enjoy, but it's not something that is making you. It's something you're doing simply because you realize you've already been made. Go engage in relationship in such a way that lifts everybody else up. That was the beauty of what God was creating in the garden. And then what happened? Sin broke in, as it always does. Sin loves to break in. And so what happened is that Satan 
got Adam and Eve to believe a lie. Remember, I said last week, Satan only has one tactic, lies and distortion, right? Lies, 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 lies. And so Satan has this conversation with Eve when sin breaks into the world. And in the conversation, uh, Satan says to Eve, did God really say? And he says, why God doesn't want you to engage in this, uh, to eat this is because you will become what? Like him. You'll become like him. See, Satan saw his own lie that he was believing that he could become like God. He wanted to become like God. He saw that humanity was formed in one way, like God. But Satan looks at humanity and he says, no, being like God the way that you are isn't quite enough. You need to be like God in a different way. You need to be more ambitious. You need to have more value than what you, you have already been given. And so strive after that. And what did Adam and Eve do? They strove after something that God had not originally designed them to be because they were not satisfied in the likeness that they had already been created. And so they stepped into that. And as they did, sin broke into the world, creating all of the distortions. It's why now we do strive after purpose, why we don't live in peace, why relationships and our world is broken down by tension and, and fighting and pushing down and lifting up and standing against. Because sin broke in and destroyed it all. And so what could be done? What could be done now that the, the, the perfect image creators, the ones made in the image of God, now that, that they had chosen sin? See, what happened in the moment of sin is this, that we as humans, we're all still made in the image of God all that I read this morning in Psalm 139 about God still forming us in our womb and knowing everything about us, all of that is still true. But we're, so we're still formed in the image of God and those implications are still true that all of human life matters. But now the human image is marred and it is marred by sin. I read a verse last week that describes this in Romans where it says we are now born under our new father, Adam, and we carry the weight or the marring of sin. We're burdened by it. And so we're both made in the image of God on one hand, but also now under the weight of sin on the other. And so we're like image bearers, but we're marred image bearers because of sin. The apostle Paul, in one of his letters, would describe it like this. He would say, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience in whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, body and mind, by the way, and we're by nature, soul, body, mind, and soul, and we're by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's saying, yes, you are made in the image of God and there's a value that comes from being made in the image of God, but now simultaneously made in the image of God and under the weight of sin. And so that's why the lack of peace, that's why the lack of purpose, that's why the problems with people, you are now sitting under that weight. And God knew that something needed to happen, that he needed to step in and to restore the lost image. And so what does God do? He sends his son, Jesus. He sends his son, Jesus, who is his perfect image bearer. The one who both um, was a, a human, fully human, right? Uh, uh, fully human and fully God. And, and Jesus would come down uh, fully human, like you and I are fully human, but not under the weight of sin, but would be the perfect image of God. And he would go to the cross perfect and sinless, 
the perfect image of God going to the cross. And on the cross, what would he do? He would take on all of the sin, all of the marring of the image of God, all of the, uh, the problems that had arisen uh, by the image being lost. He would take those all upon himself. And what would they do? Crush him. Just as they have crushed us. Just as they have destroyed humanity. Just as you and I have felt the crushing defeat and weight of sin, just as we can look out at the world and see how sin has destroyed bodies, disease and sickness, how it has destroyed minds, warping the way that we think, how it has destroyed souls and those who have not called upon the name of Christ spend eternal damnation apart from him. Now all of that would fall on Christ and it would crush him but it would not hold him. And so three days later, Christ would rise from the grave. And he would rise from the grave and it would be said that he was like the firstborn of a new creation. See, the story of the New Testament is always pointing back to the story of the Old Testament. The story of the New Testament was always pointing back to the original creation. And now a recreation was present because Christ had risen victoriously from the grave. And when he did, what did we learn about him? His body was even different. It was like a recreation that we got to see of our future selves someday if we profess faith in Christ that all that sin marred would be fully redeemed and we would operate in body, soul, and mind again just as we had originally been created to do. And so Christ rises from the grave. The apostle Paul would say it later like this, that after all of that sin and death and uh, after all of that marring of the image of God, when we were completely helpless in order to rescue ourselves and to restore the image. See, we have to understand beginnings like we understand later things in the scriptures. And so how did man originally obtain being made in the image of God? Let me ask it this way. What did Adam do to be made in the image of God? Nothing. Adam wasn't in the dirt, dust going, okay, if I just connect with these dust molecules and then connect with those ones and then connect with those ones and make myself the most attractive bit of dust, oh, I bet then God would breathe his life into me. Like the dust was waiting for the wind to form it up a little bit. He's like, oh, I just can't quite reach that dust particle. Can I tell you something? You trying to restore yourself in the image of God is just as silly as the dust trying to form itself into man. You can't do it. We're dead. We're marred images. It's there, but it's marred. And that's why then Paul goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You are not just image bearers. You are not just made in the image of God. You cannot be raised with Christ. You can be raised with Christ in the new creation Paul would say it later like this in Colossians 3, 9 through 10. He said, you uh, used to wear this old self. You used to have this marred self, but put it off now because of Christ. Stop chasing all of the distortion of sin that you used to chase. And by the knowledge of God, now be formed into, reformed into the image of God. 
And this is the fall, or this is the, the, the sequence. We are made in the image of God. Sin distorted it. And then we can be redeemed back into the image of God through the cross. Paul ends that little section of scripture saying, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, even in religion, sometimes what we do is we do the same thing we do with purpose. We say, I'm gonna go obtain my value. I'm going to obtain my value, and then once I do, I will receive something. And sometimes we even do this in religion. We think I'm going to go work and I'm going to work and I'm going to work. And then if I do it, I'm going to obtain right standing. I'm going to obtain the image of God. And that's not how God set it up. The way God set it up is when you were dead, he breathes it into you. This is grace. That we receive something that we couldn't earn. That in the same way Adam received the image of God, you and I now receive the new image of Christ. That apart from it, we would be under the weight of sin. Apart from grace, we would be captives under the weight of sin. And then Paul ends this little section by saying this, for we are his workmanship, or another translation is, for we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, that we should walk in them. And even Ephesians 2.10 is showing us, and there's no other word that like, like, d- describes value more than the word masterpiece. More than the word masterpiece. He says, you become a masterpiece, a a recreated image of God. And then, see, all of the work then comes after this moment. He says, you have been created for good works, not, Ephesians 2.10 comes after Ephesians 2.8 and 9, not before. See, if, if, let me say it this way. Christ, at his baptism, what does the Father say? You are my son with whom I am well pleased. What ministry activity has Christ done up until that point? No. Christ received his identity, his value, in that, if you can follow the metaphor, and then he began to do. Oh, and we, Satan, he distorts this so much. We are created to understand that we are being made, that we are made in the image of God. And then when the image was lost, that Jesus came back and he did the same thing that original creation did, breathes the breath of life into us. My, my, my body, soul, and mind apart from Christ was no different than the dust in the garden. Ah, but by the breath of life, in the garden, it was the word of God forming it. In, in the new creation, uh, in the redeemed creation, it is the spirit of God through the gospel breathing into my dead soul. And then what happens? I now have a value. I am a redeemed, raised with Christ, child of God. And even this, Satan tries to distort. And here's how he tries to distort it. He tries to distort it by turning it into pride. By making us believe, like, look at me, I'm something special. I'm something special. Ah, I'm a Christian now. I'm, I am something special. And you are something special, but you have to understand why you're something special. A couple years ago, so this is a tiger's hat. It's actually a pretty nice looking hat. I put it on, but it would ruin my hair. And I mean, what, retail, 30, 40 bucks maybe for this hat? And you're like, it's a tiger's hat. No one would pay a penny for that. Okay, just pretend like they were a good team for a second, okay? 
And this hat, again, 20, 30 bucks, 40 bucks maybe nowadays um, for for retail. And uh, imagine this this hat uh, trying to work hard to obtain value. It'd be pretty silly, wouldn't it? Like if the hat was like trying to hop onto someone's head to protect them from the sun or the rain. So that's, that's a pretty silly hat. You can't do anything. No, what hats do is they go where they're, they go where they're told to go. I look ridiculous. They, they go where they're told. And the hat, a couple, well, let me tell the story. A couple years ago, my stepsister was at a concert. And it was a One Direction concert. I don't know why I didn't get invited, but I didn't. And she was, and this was like right at the height of the craziness of, of One Direction. And so she's in the front row. Who knows how much she paid for those tickets, right? And she's there. And, uh, and, and one of the lead singers, I believe, is Harry Styles. Don't ask me why I know that. But he, uh, he was wearing a hat, a tiger's hat. And he took his hat off and all sweaty with, you know, Harry Styles sweat. And took his hat off and tossed it into the crowd. And she grabbed it. Now what happens at this point in history? All of a sudden, a $20, $30 hat comes worth how much? At that point, thousands. Thousands. Why? Had the hat done anything? Had the hat changed? Had the hat worked harder? No. What was known now about the hat? Whose hat it was? Whose hat it was? And because it was his hat, all of a sudden, the value shot through the roof. Friends, you are his masterpiece. The emphasis is not on being the masterpiece. That can make pride. The emphasis is on being his. You are his masterpiece. And from the beginning, we were created to be those masterpieces in the garden, given the image of God. Sin came in, distorted the image of God, it marred the image of God. And we were on a, because we were made to be relational and eternal and spiritual beings. Now that we were under the marred image of God, Satan's lies and distortion would come in and it would attack all of those things. It would attack our relationships, first our relationship with God, then our relationship with each other. Secondly, it would try to condemn us to an eternity apart from God as opposed to being with God. It would limit the very days of our lives here on earth. Even though we were made to live forever, we would die under the weight of this sin. It would come and it would attack body, soul, and mind. And according to the scriptures, we would sit under that as marred images of God for all of eternity unless something happened. But something did happen. Jesus came down to earth as the perfect image bearer, took on all of the marred image on the cross, rose triumphantly from the grave, and then through the power of his gospel, whispers into dead hearts, you are now mine. You are now mine. And then you become his. And as you're his, you are then an absolute masterpiece. A value that can't be taken. A value that when you properly understand it is to produce peace. Why are you striving? It's to produce perfect purpose. I operate now in the good things that God prepared beforehand for me to do. I'm not operating and doing so that I might obtain. I've already obtained everything I need. 
perfect relationships, maybe not perfect, but relationships where I look at others and say, I don't have to strive against you. I can serve you. Why? Oh, man. I've been made and remade in the image of God. Satan hates Genesis 1 because God put this plan in place for you to walk in peace and purpose and proper relationship. But he didn't win. Christ gave it back to you on the cross. And so today I want to end in prayer. And first I want to invite those of you who haven't ever become his to become his. And secondly, I want all of us then to um, take a second and just dwell in being made in the image of God by his doing, not ours. And I hope that it'll begin to restore those things in your life. Let's pray. If you're out there today and you have never received the grace of Christ poured out to you on the cross, the text I walked through shows the beauty of the simplicity of it. It's the most profound thing, but also the most simple. We were dead in sin, but through Christ you can be made alive. How so? By believing in the gospel, confessing your sin, believing in the work of Christ on the cross, and being remade now in him. If you've never done that, now is your chance. You were made for eternity. Where will you spend it? With him or apart from him? Under Satan's lies and domain or under God's? If that's you this morning, simply pray in the quietness of your own heart. God, I finally see the gospel. I acknowledge my sin. I'm grateful, Christ, that you took it on yourself, that you allowed it to crush you so it wouldn't crush me. I want to be raised anew with Jesus. And friend, if you pray that you are, you are. You have now received the greatest sense of value you could ever receive. And Father, now for the rest of us, the rest of us, who even though in Christ, we still so often strive to obtain peace, to figure out our purpose, hurried, 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 where we use people instead of serve them, thinking it will make us more valuable. Would you help us to rest in the beauty of the gift that you have given us? Would you help us to be so overcome in joy by the beauty of the gift of our salvation and our new redeemed nature that we can live in peace? That we can walk out a purpose in life that isn't about obtaining value, Instead, it's just about operating in the way you've wired and designed us because you love us and prepared good things for us to do. Oh, and then help us to see the image of God in all people. To love all people as image bearers. Oh, but would you also compel us to love those who though the image of God is on them are still marred by the weight and the crushing nature of sin. 
for you have made us to be now image bearers, representatives of you and the goodness of your gospel to call them out of darkness into light. And so give us eyes to see your image bearers who are under the weight and the domain of Satan and through the gospel to set them free. Make us prolific ambassadors of you. Image bearers. Change the way we view all people. And give us a love to rescue all those under the weight of sin. And thank you. Thank you. Because true value is always determined by what somebody is willing to pay. Oh, and Father, you are willing to pay the price of your son's life that we might be obtained and redeemed. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.